0: So we want to welcome everybody watching live. Would you give them a hand clap and a welcome this day? We just say if you are watching live or later as well, it's good to have you here. Uh, The notes from my message today will be on our website, swc.church, and you'll be very welcome to download those. Good. Hey, let's pray together. Hmm. Father, we love you and thank you. Hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray today you'd give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Lord, I pray this day that you'd open the eyes of our understanding. You'd enlarge the bandwidth of our wisdom and our revelation. Lord, let us be a people of wisdom and let us be a people of revelation. And take us on a journey deeper into truth this day, that you would take us on a journey into more freedom, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to go in a moment to Galatians 4 and 1 John 2. But let me do a quick recap. We've been talking for a few weeks now about growth and inheritance. Does anybody remember? And I believe God has an inheritance for every believer. Okay? God's got... A Incredible inheritance for every believer. And I believe he he wants the church to step into the inheritance he has for us. I I actually think one of Satan's greatest plans and strategies is to separate us from our inheritance. Come on, just stick with me for a second. Even at a do you know at a, a general do you know Satan is the god of poverty? I I hate poverty. I mean, I really do. At times, I know I've got to love all Christians, but when I, when I see Christians saying poverty is a good thing, I want to lay hands on them suddenly. Do you know poverty is not… poverty doesn't take you nearer to God. Now, neither does money or riches either, but uh, poverty is a curse, not a blessing. And when you see Come on, all over the world right now, there, there are nations, there are, there are millions of people with not enough money to feed their kids right now. That is not a blessing from God. Come on, an enemy did this. You know, at times we, again, I don't mean to be political here, ish. You know, we get this lie that there are, there are too many people on planet Earth, we need to reduce the population. Do you know you could fit the whole population of planet earth on Manhattan, on the southern end of Manhattan, with enough room to swing a cat for the cat lovers? There's not a shortage of land on planet. There's not a shortage of food. There's not a shortage of resources. Any nation where people are suffering, it's usually because of corrupt leadership, poor leadership, and the way Satan has put inroads into our culture. God says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God isn't trying to wonder, I wonder how we can feed everybody? God can feed every sparrow ever born. That's right. And I, I really think one of Satan's plans, even at a human level, is to get generations disconnected from each other, where every generation we, we stop investing in the next generation. I mean, in a way, God's normal is that, you know, boy meets girl, get married, they have kids, and they, they bless that next generation. And in a way, that next generation carries on that blessing. The path of the just gets brighter and brighter until the perfect day. And I, I think in, in whether that's in the natural or in the church, God wants us to be a people of inheritance. He wants us to grasp the inheritance we've got. You guys are going to make me work hard today, aren't you? I'M GOING TO PREACH TO THIS SIDE. <laughs> i JUST MOVE MY PULPIT OVER HERE. No. <laughs> COME ON, I REALLY WANT YOU TO GET THAT, GUYS. We, GOD WANTS US TO BE INHERITANCE-MINDED. Amen. I, I ACTUALLY, CAN I SAY THAT, my par- I love MY PARENTS WERE AWESOME. I MEAN, THEY STILL ARE, BUT THEY'RE IN HEAVEN. BUT THEY WERE AWESOME PARENTS. MY GRANDDAD WAS IN THE WELSH REVIVAL. I HAD PARENTS WHO DRAGGED ME TO CHURCH EVERY WEEK AS A KID you know, just pray for me morning, noon, and night. Uh, you know, I look back. When I was a kid, I was so embarrassed by my dad and his love for Jesus. I would bring, bring home kids from school to play, and, you know, I'd maybe go to the kitchen or the bathroom. My dad would be telling my friends about Jesus. I'm like, oh, dad, <laughs> shut up. And uh, I once brought a friend. I remember the day I brought a friend home from school. I was about nine, and this, this young kid had this book, one of these dungeons and dragons, but I'm not against anything, but I'm just telling the story. I had this book with this satanic looking dragon on the front, and I think I went to my bedroom. When I came back, my dad and my friend had gone, and they were in the garden, and this kid was burning his book in the garden. (sighs) I'm not... I'm not suggesting you do that, but I, here's my point. That the things that embarrass me as a kid about my dad, I'm actually so proud of now. Yeah. What was your dad like, Leah? I think Leah's dad was the guy who'd pick his kids up from school with the big van, Jesus loves you, at the side. And, you know, the, you know. my point is like Leah had a similar upbringing. In where, my point in saying that is life isn't fair. We're blessed. A lot of things that... that came to us easily because our parents walked with God. They got to hand on to us. We didn't start life worse some other people did. And I know that life isn't first. Sometimes it's tough. You know, if you're here saying, Graham, my, my parents were witches. <laughs> my grandparents were witches. Well, let it change with you. You be the first generation. You be the first one that starts that. God wants to do things in your life and mine that don't end when we go to heaven. And if every generation, if you look back at revival history, by and large, what's happened is there's a bunch of hungry people who cry out to God. Sometimes they don't even know what they're really crying out for. They're just hungry. There's got to be more than this. They cry out to God, and God meets them. And they experience revival, renewal, refreshing revelation. And God moves in this amazing way. The sad thing is usually most revivals die in that generation and they don't get to pass them on to the next generation. Mm, It's really deep, that Graham. I was once reading, don't go there, but in uh, 2 Kings 13, it talks about the death of Elisha. You don't need to go there really, but uh, in 2 Kings 13, it says Elisha died and they buried him. And then it says, the next year, there was a a little battle going on in Israel, and somebody got killed, and they didn't have time to bury this young soldier, so they threw him down the tomb of Elisha. And when this dead soldier hits the bones of Elisha, he came back to life. Isn't that a great story? Can I suggest to you, it's a terrible story? I was once reading that, and it's like I was filled with grief. And I kept hearing this phrase inside of me, the bones of Elisha. And I was like, God, why am I, I'm like crying reading this story. And I'm suddenly like, why well, is it's a great story. And I suddenly got what the Lord was saying to me. Elijah was anointed by God, but before he went to heaven, he passed on his anointing to the next generation. Elisha's, Elisha's anointing died and he took it to the grave. It, we, we have wonderful stories, but there wasn't, he didn't raise up the next generation. Mm. Come on. I, I believe God's got an inheritance for you. Come on, I want to challenge you here. I believe some of you have got inheritances you've received from your parents, from, from grandma, from other people who prayed for you that you're not even aware of. It, it would behoove us to know the inheritance that belongs to us. Sometimes we, we've received things spiritually that other people have given to us and we're not even aware we have them. And we're praying, God, I'm, I'm in need here. And the Lord's saying, you've got a bank account full of blessing that's yours? Yeah, we should learn to, I would encourage you sometime. Do a spiritual inventory and look back over your parents, over the people you walk with, over the people who've sown into your life. Know know what is your real estate in the Spirit. Know the things that God has given you that you now become the the steward of. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Timothy, the things I, Paul, taught you, teach them to faithful men who will teach them to faithful men. That's four generations in one verse. And for the church to be the church God wants us to be, we need to think generationally. Yes. I, I know I'm going to step on some of your end-time toes here. Uh-oh. But just play the game with me. What if Jesus doesn't come back for two or three hundred years? No, he's coming back next week. I know, but just imagine he wasn't. Could it be that God is calling us to do things in New England now to plant seeds that won't step into the fullness for 100 or 200 years? Now, none of us want to hear that because we, we like in and out Burger. We want instant miracle. Does anybody, anybody ever heard of David Livingston? Dr. Livingston, I presume. David Livingston was a Scottish missionary, really one of the first official missionaries who went to Africa. He went to Africa. He basically led about 20 people to Jesus in the whole of his ministry. Yeah. And at the end of his life, if you read his biography, he talks about walking through these fields in Africa. And he says, like, I'm thankful for the 20 I led, but through the eye of faith, I see countless millions filling fields to hear the gospel. I see, you know, one, two, three million people gathering here hungry for God. Come on, last year, two years ago, I believe it was, Reinhard Bonnke went to heaven. Reinhard Bonnke says, I got to to reap what he sowed. I got to, I don't want to say finish, but I got to step into what David Livingstone was actually talking about there. So it's so vital we become inheritance-minded and not need-minded. I better read, read some scripture quick. <laughs> Let's read Galatians 4, verse 1. Paul's writing, and he says, Now the heir, an heir is one who inherits. The heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ from a slave. So we have an heir, one who inherits, but he's still a child. Paul says he's a slave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though he is master of all, he is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a son, you're no longer a slave, excuse me, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So the principle Paul's laying out here is if you're, you're born in the royal house, you, you're the future, you inherit, but if you're still functionally a child, you're functionally a slave. And what I've been saying week after week is, I think there's so much of the, what we often do in the evangelical charismatic world is when we see a Christian walking as a slave, walking in bondage, we want to go and chop the chains off of them. We want to go and anoint them and shambadingadanga and help them get free and inner heal this and cast out this. And there's, there's bits of truth in all of those messages. But on the whole, what God is saying to that, that person is grow up grow up so often we're in that baby stage of christianity and we see the 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 blessings the promises the inheritance the things that we know god really does have for us sometimes we see other people walking in things that we know we're called to and we're like god when will you give me the car keys when will you bless me when will you give me the power when will you do that for me and the lord is saying i'm ready I've already made that inheritance. It's there with your name on it. But the only way you step into your inheritance is to grow up. Turn to your neighbor and say, what are you going to be when you grow up? Come on, God's asking us to grow, to come to maturity, to be the people he wants us to be. And what I want to do briefly today, I want to talk about the profile, I want to paint you a picture of a mature believer. I think, Lee, I don't know, did you preach on 1 John 2 a few weeks ago? I was in Ireland. but Real quick, in 1 John 2, I'll read two verses, 1 John 2, 12 through 14, it says, I write to you, little children, because you know your sins are forgiven. He says, I write to you fathers because you know, or it says you walk in intimacy with he who is from the beginning. And then I write to you young men, teenagers, you're strong, the word of God abides in you and you overcome the evil one. There is a, there is a growth in our Christian life, Amen. You know, when we come to Jesus, I, I love little baby Christians, all they know is their sins are forgiven. And that's all you need to know hallelujah that's all you need to know to get into the kingdom of god we don't we should actually take baby christians and really lay those foundations well your sins are completely forgiven yeah sometimes we try to get christians to grow too quickly do you know there are many quote unquote mature christians there are people leading churches and doing things and they've never actually had in the heart maybe in the head, but in the heart, they've never had that foundation laid. All my sins have been completely and utterly forgiven. He says, I write to your children. You know your sins are forgiven. Then he says, I write to you, young men. The Greek word is paedian, teenagers. You're strong. You do battle with the enemy. The word of God abides in you. You overcome the evil one. When we're a teenager, we go through tests. I'm going... Pick on Joel. Joel has his driving test this week on Friday. Yeah. There's going to be a prayer meeting here at 3 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> going to be interceding. <laughs> going to bind the spirit of distraction. and uh, no, He's going to do well. But uh, come on, th- there's a season in our Christian life where there's a time when we're baby Christians. We don't even know there is a devil. That's okay, isn't it? You just know your sins are forgiven and Father God loves you. That's really good. There's a time when, ooh, like spiritual warfare and we do battle with the enemy. Do you know a lot of Christians, though, park in that teenage space. And God, I believe Jesus is coming back for a mature church. I believe Jesus is coming back for a, for a church that lives in a high place with him. I believe Jesus is coming back for a church, not a church saying, Lord, when would you come and give us our inheritance? But a church that's walking in that inheritance now. I believe Jesus is coming back from a church that looks like him. I believe Jesus is coming back for a church that walks in everything he's provided for us. And is living out the Christian life to that fullness, the statute of the fullness of the measure of Christ in the generation. And I don't think it's some people say, how do we get the Wilson earthquake or disaster hit us and we'll all turn? No, I think it happens. Paul tells us how it happens. It happens by the washing of water by the word. Yeah, it says that God will, is, he's already made us that church, but he's cleansing and sanctifying us by the washing of water by the word. So what I want to do real quick with you guys today, I want to give you seven seven keys, seven principles, seven profile points of what it means to be a mature believer, and then we'll give you a test at the end to see how you're doing. (laughs) Come on, number one, a mature believer walks by faith and not by sight. Can I say this? Just think this through with me. Again, it's so simple. We all know this. But All of us love to feel God. We love to feel his love. We love to feel forgiven. We love to feel joy. We love to feel power. Are you like that too? Do you know, for years, I used to get tripped up in faith because at times, I used to confuse faith for a feeling of faith. AND THERE WOULD BE TIMES IN MY LIFE WHERE I'D PRAY AND I'D HAVE THIS CONFIDENCE, THAT FEELING INSIDE ME, LIKE, I KNOW THAT I KNOW THAT I KNOW THAT THIS IS GOING TO HAPPEN. THAT INNER CONFIDENCE. AND IT WAS WONDERFUL. I THOUGHT THAT WAS FAITH. THAT ISN'T FAITH. THAT WAS THE EMOTION FAITH GAVE. BUT I WOULD CONFUSE FAITH FOR AN EMOTION. AND AT TIMES I'D PRAY AND I WOULDN'T FEEL ANYTHING. AND I'D BE LIKE, OH, I DON'T HAVE FAITH. AND I WOULD BE MEASURING FAITH BY MY EMOTIONAL RESPONSE to faith and it's not wrong I I don't want to make a bigger theology of this and if you disagree with this that's okay but I think God answers prayers a lot easier for baby Christians I think God gives more grace for, for baby Christians I think there's a time when we're a baby Christian we pray and before we say Amen, man God's like boom yeah. hallelujah and I think there's so much grace around. If you, wanna, if you want all of your prayers answered, don't get Benny Hinn to pray for you. Get a brand new baby Christian. Nothing against Benny. <laughs> My point is they'll pray and boom. And it's wonderful to feel forgiven, to feel God. Oh, I can feel his love all around me. It's wonderful. As you grow, you're going to go through seasons where God pulls back the feathers and you're not going to feel Anything. And, and what God, God's not against us having good feelings, but he wants us to not have our, our belief, our faith anchored in what we feel, rather have our faith anchored in what his word says. Amen. One of the greatest lessons you can do, come on, there's a lesson baby Christians need to go through about learning to recognize the presence of God. Oh wow, I feel God here, wonderful. But there's also a place we go through where it's like God pulls back his presence emotionally. In our experience, he doesn't pull back his presence. He pulls back our feeling, our emotions of his presence. And the Lord is saying, will you still believe I'm there when you don't feel me? Will you believe I'm there? You see, here's the real key to maturity. When we're baby Christians, God will come and visit us. And we'll experience him and it's glorious. It feels like as we grow, God hides from us. Now, what a lot of Christians do is they develop a theology out of lack. They say, well, the church isn't experiencing glory right now. Maybe, maybe it comes in waves. Maybe we need to wait here for the next move of God. <laughs> now, there's times God will visit you. When God's not visiting you, he's trying to teach you to come and visit him. He said, we need to learn to come into this secret place by faith without feelings. We need to learn to establish our heart in who God says we are, what God says is true, by faith, realizing that the feelings are the, root, they're the fruit, not the root. Come on, here's what I've learned. I've learned, if I'll get up and say, Lord, I'm your child. I've received that spirit of adoption. My heart cries out, Abba, Father. Father, behold what manner of love you showered upon me that I would be called the Son of God. doesn't yet fully appear, what I shall be. But right now am I the Son of God. And if a son of God, an heir, a joint her with God. Thank you that as you love Jesus, so Jesus loves me, I continue in your love. Thank you the love of God is being shed abroad in my heart. I'll begin to feel his love really quickly. But the love is the, 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 the last stage. It's the tail, not the dog kind of thing. And we've got to learn to walk by faith and not by sight you Come on, key number one. I'm sure there are many more of these, but these, I was just praying this week and said, what, is a, what does a mature believer look like? So a b- mature believer walks by the word, not by feelings. Key number two, a mature believer walks in awe and wonder of God. Quite often, I'll get people who come to me and say, Graham, you hardly ever preach about the devil and demons. And I go, yeah. And people are like, why? I just, I'm not interested. People are like, don't you believe in them? I mean, I, yes and no. I believe they're there. I just don't believe in them. I don't have any faith in them. I think the more we see Jesus, the less we see other things. And God wants us dazzled. Come on, what's the opposite of hot? Hot and cold. Day and You know the sun and the moon god and the no the devil's not the opposite of god he's not the yin to the yang he's not well there's god's team and you know there's the u.s team and the england team and i mean are you kidding me satan we have no capacity to express how insignificant satan is compared with god And I'm not saying, believe me, I know how real Satan is and how he mangles and destroys lies. But God wants us to live in this place of awe and wonder, dazzled by him. Can I say that? In a way, that's the first thing you ever learn in Christianity. It's called the fear of the Lord. But you don't put away the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord becomes the awe and the wonder of God. And I think mature believers are dazzled by the beauty of God and His person and His awesomeness and the terror of God, but the amazing goodness of God. And there are no, God God lives in superlative land. There are no measured words for God. He's beyond everything. And I I think if you want to be a mature believer, grow, don't, don't understand God, get dazzled by Him. Live in that place where you're just undone every time somebody says his name. Hallelujah. Where, where it's not, the more we, we live in awe of God, the less we get intimidated by people. Can I say that? Fear and intimidation from other people is really just a lack of in being impressed with God. The fear of man gets destroyed when you live in the awe of God. The fear of Satan gets destroyed. The more you see what God is like, the less you're impressed with Satan and all of his schemes and demons. Mm. Another good, really good point, Graham. (laughs) Yeah! Come on, number three, I've said this a few times over the course of this month, but a mature believer thinks about inheritance, not need. A mature believer prays from inheritance and not need. The challenge what we need is they're usually about ourselves, and God is not interested. He loves you. He cares for you, but his agenda is bigger than you, and Satan loves to get us trapped in this world where we are, come on, I don't even know that babies or even some younger younger people are kind of looking at the world through the lens of me, themselves, and God wants us to be partakers of his inheritance. Well, we look at everything we do and we say, Lord, how does this relate to your inheritance? How do I not, if, if, I, if I am about my father's business, if I am about the inheritance God's got for me, God will open every door, God will provide every need, God will supply every single thing I need. Hallelujah. I believe we can live free from need. I'm not saying we will never physically be in lack. I'm saying need as a dominating force in our life. Hallelujah. Come on, I want to finish my course well. There's a great book. um, Another guy, South African guy, really amazing guy called Robert Tom. Anybody ever read his biography? This guy wrote a book called The New Wine is Better. I know his, some of you will know his daughter, Robin Tom Rogers, I believe her name is, and yeah. And uh, this was a South African guy, born in the 1920s. In the late 40s, he worked with F.F. Bosworth for about two years. He was in Bosworth's bedroom when Bosworth died. I want to say around about 1952, 53, something like this. And he talks about F.F. Bosworth getting up and like just shaking his fists. Not not at heaven in an aggressive way, but like walking up and down, banging the desk saying, I fought the fight. I kept the faith. I'm stepping into heaven. And he's sort of like going out saying, God, I preach faith since Azusa Street, and I, I did it in the 20s and the 30s, and I preached it in the Great Depression, and I, I worked with uh, William Brannan and other people, you know, in the 40s, and I, just, I haven't left this message. And in way, Bosworth talks about his inheritance the day he died, and kind of laying hands on this young South African guy, and blessing him, and blessing him, and blessing him. Hallelujah. One of my heroes in the U.K., they're not that well known here, but in the, in the U.K., there were a couple of brothers called George and Stephen Jeffries. If you go to the U.K., you'll see churches everywhere called Elam Pentecostal churches. And these two brothers, they were just crazy, spirit-filled evangelists. They went all over the U.K. in the 20s and 30s, started thousands of churches. You know, they'd come into town and preach for like three months. Three months. They come into town and preach to three people. Just keep preaching, Jesus saves, Jesus heals, praying for everybody until notable miracles happened. And then, you know, usually the whole town would come by the end of the the crusade kind of thing. Reinhard Bonnke talks about being a young man at Bible school in Wales. And on the very last day, when he's graduated from Bible school, he's in London. And um, he's waiting to catch a boat back to Germany to, you know, go home and start his full-time ministry. And he's wandering around London, this young 22, 23-year-old German. And as he's wandering, he says, suddenly the Spirit of God came on him. And he begins wandering through London, turning left, turning right, going through little passageways, get on this bus, get off the bus. And he ends up outside of a house that says George Jeffreys. And he's just read the book of this mighty evangelist. Now this is in the I want to say the 60s or something like that. And he's thinking, this guy can't still be alive. But he rings the doorbell and a housekeeper comes and says, what do you want, young man? And this young German guy says, is this the house of George Jeffries, the evangelist? And this lady says, yes, but he's an elderly man. He doesn't see people anymore. Go away. And Bonky's about to sort of, he's like, I'm really sure God let me hear the ladies go away. And suddenly this booming voice comes from up and says, bring that young man here. And he says he got ushered into this bedroom, and there's like a 96-year-old man with gnarled hands and you know his bed, and this old man gets out of bed and puts these very arthritic hands in, and blesses him and blesses him and blesses him. Come on, God's got inheritance for you guys. Some of us we need to be inheritance-minded. We, we should stop going to people and say, "What do you need?" And we should be even spiritually or relationally saying, "What's your inheritance?" How can I help you in your inheritance rather than if I can get you in your inheritance, you'll get the bread and the gas and the other things we need. Amen? Inheritance over need. Come on, where are we? That was number three. Come on, key number four, mature people never stop learning and growing. Yeah. You can quite often notice if you'll talk with people, were they stopped learning? Were they parked? in their revelation. One of the danger points for all of us is when we learn a little bit more than others and we want to become teachers, that's okay, that's good, but then we stop learning. And so often people grow to a certain revelation, they grasp a certain part of who God is and what He's done, and they want to spend the rest of their life teaching others what they've learned. Amen. I'm for it, not against it. But never stop learning. Come on, let me ask you, I'm not not doing a straw poll here, what books have you read in the last month that challenge you? Are you reading books with, you know, are you around people who pull on your theology or disagree with things? Or whenever we find a group of people who just agree with everything we say and we keep reading the same things, I think God's got things to say to the church right now and in the future that we're not ready to hear I hear people talk. You know, at times people come to me. You're Calvinist, Armenianist, both, and neither. I think both of these man-made systems have little pieces of truth, and both of them, I, I refuse either of them. I look at all these end-time theories and think there's little pieces of truth in all of them, but people get so wedded emotionally, not theologically, emotionally, to one point of view, that they put the blinkers on and they can't allow God to show them fresh things that are always there in the Bible. And my point is, let, let's, if we're going to be mature believers, let's have a commitment to grow. Let's have a commitment to be stretched. Let's have a commitment to, I want to upgrade my worship life in 2023. Come on, I want to be a better worshipper at the end of 2023. I like worship, I love worship, I get it more than the average bear at times, but that's, that's bad. If I'm worshipping now as I was a year ago, I'm not growing. If I'm giving now as I was a year ago, I'm not growing. If I'm sharing my faith with others now as I was a year ago, I'm not growing. If I'm still going around the same thing, reading the same thing again, I'm still parked in the same limited understanding of God. God doesn't change, but our understanding of of Him does. And I think if we're going to be mature people, we should be committed to being lifelong learners. And we should find people, get around people who challenge you. Listen to things that challenge you. I don't mean swallow everything you hear, but I mean grow. You grow in your discernment when you're around things that challenge you i know this is not politically correct but can i say we don't protect kids from germs by hiding them in shrink wrap i know some of us parents maybe don't want to hear that but god made kids to get dirty sometimes and to you know i know i'm biggest believer you'll ever meet in healing but it's actually okay your immune system needs to catch some things and learn to win the battle over them And I think at times, spiritually, we do that same thing where we so want to protect ourselves. We can't be around anybody who challenges what we believe. Let somebody pull on what you believe, grow. Learn, think some new thoughts, meet God in some new ways. Come on, key number five, nothing done here, but mature people develop faith before they need it. If there's one mark of immaturity, it's people wait for disaster to happen. And when it happens, they say, oh my God, I've got a disaster. Let me build my faith to meet the disaster. That's like waiting until your house is on fire to buy insurance. Mm. Here's what I think God wants us to be. God wants us to develop our faith when we don't need it. I love Jesus, in uh, Mark 9, the disciples try and cast a demon out of a boy, and it doesn't work. Remember the nine disciples? Then they come to Jesus, and they say, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus is like straight to the point, because of your unbelief. Yeah? Yeah? And then he says a strange thing, he says, this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. Now You could argue, you could look at it either way in the Greek, but I don't think he's saying this kind of demon, I think he's saying this kind of unbelief. I don't think the problem was the big demon or the small demon. The problem was the unbelief in the heart of the disciples. But either way, what I take from that passage is Jesus saying, the way you win over unbelief is by spending time with Father, by fasting and prayer. Here's where I want to get to, though. Jesus didn't say, oh, there's a need. Let's fast and pray for a week. He just met the need. Why? Because he had a lifestyle of fasting and prayer. He had the money in the bank when he needed it. He had the resource he needed to to go there. And I think there's something about maturity that says, Lord, I'm not going to live from crisis to disaster, crisis to disaster. I'm going to build my faith now. When the sun shines, when all is well, when I'm in health in my body, now's the best time to develop your faith for you and for others. And if we will be mature believers, we won't be our motivant. The thing that motivates us won't be some disaster hitting us. Rather, it will be our inheritance. And when somebody says, why are you fasting? You've had some crisis? No, I'm called to inheritance. And I want to live a life where I'm ready to step into everything that the Lord has for me. Amen? Amen. Come on, nearly down here. Key number six, mature believers receive and give forgiveness quickly it's worth writing that down if there's if there's one metric or measure like a measuring stick you could put on what's a mature believer or an immature believer can I say this God 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 will forgive if you sin and don't repent for a week God will forgive you agreed agreed Come on, I, I've seen, I'm still seeing messed up theology in believers about this. When I was a non-believer, when I was cut off from God, when I used to live in Ephesians 2.12, I was a Gentile. I'm no longer a Gentile. I used to be a Gentile, an alien from the covenants of God. When I was, when I was by nature a sinner, my good deeds didn't change my nature as a sinner. If my nature is sinner... Me doing ten good things doesn't change my nature. Agreed. Now that my nature is child of God, I'm a new creation. Me doing ten bad things doesn't change my nature. If I, goo, I mess up, I sin. It doesn't. It doesn't. I don't keep getting saved and resaved and saved and resaved. My covenant with God is not based on what I do or what I don't do. It's based on what Jesus did. THE OLD COVENANT IS A COVENANT BETWEEN GOD AND ABRAHAM AND ALL OF HIS KIDS. THE PROBLEM IS ABRAHAM AND THE KIDS KEPT BREAKING THE COVENANT. GOD WAS ALWAYS FAITHFUL TO THE COVENANT, ABRAHAM AND HIS SEED KEPT BREAKING IT. THE NEW COVENANT IS NOT A COVENANT BETWEEN GRAHAM AND GOD, BECAUSE IT WILL GO THE SAME WAY THE ABRAHAM ONE DID. THE NEW COVENANT IS A COVENANT BETWEEN JESUS AND GOD. TODAY I HAVE DECREED THE DECREE, YOU ARE MY SON. And what I get to do, I get to be in Christ Jesus. Now when I sin, it doesn't break that covenant because it's not between me and God it's between Jesus. but when I sin, it affects my fellowship with God. My my warmth, my closeness with him. And it's this one measure you could measure with between a mature believer and an immature believer. Mature believers run towards forgiveness quick. If they sin, they don't sit in their sin. The longer you sit in your sin, many analogies are coming to mind and none of them are good. The longer you sit in your sin, the more your soul gets pulled away from God, the more damage it does to your soul. The biggest, literally the biggest damage I see in the souls of believers is when they sit, sometimes for years, in the consciousness of sin. And often it's not, it's even the sin that was done against them. Sin is sin is sin. And they sit in the yuckiness of that. And it so warps them and separates them from the love of God. And the one thing we need to learn to do is, when when we sin, if we sin, when we sin, is run to God. My bad. Sorry. Father, forgive me. Yeah. We have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous. Plead that blood. Get in there quickly. And what we've got to learn to do with others when other people sin against us is forgive them quickly. The more you sit in your sin between you and God, and the more you allow something to come between you and your brother, the more immature you'll be. And mature believers receive forgiveness quickly and give forgiveness quickly. I said it a few weeks ago, but we should learn to do it on a daily basis. Forgive us our debtors as we forgive those who trespass against us. It should be this daily bread we eat. Yeah. Hallelujah. Come on, let me finish with this. But um, hmm, I'll, I won't go there for the sake of time. But number seven, mature believers build a life of maturity and stability for themselves and others. In Mark 4, Jesus said, The kingdom of God is like a tiny seed, which when it's planted in the ground becomes a great tree. And the birds of the earth come and shelter under the branches of the tree. And that's really the goal of maturity. God wants your Christian life to be a place where you're rooted and grounded. You're like a tall tree in the kingdom of God. And that your life gives shelter to others. Wherever we go, we cast a shadow. Shadows aren't only bad, they're good. We can live under the shadow of His wing. And God wants our life to literally be like a, a shadow, a place of refuge, a place of blessing, a place of provision. God wants your life and mine to be like a storehouse of grace, of things that we've received from Him. And every time we get near other people, we can feed them. Lord, amen. Come on, we can feed other people. Right, yeah. I've shared that here before, but once a few years ago, I was in Applebee's in the town here and uh, with a group of pastors and it got really weird. <laughs> and um, and with this pastoral group that will remain nameless, but um, when it came time, it's like we had this meal there, and I think they were organizing some Easter thing or something. When it came time to pay for the check, everybody started squabbling and arguing. I mean, it was really like somebody was like, it's like, okay, there's ten of us, can we just divide this ten ways? And somebody's like, no, I, I didn't. He had a dessert, I didn't. And, it, and then people were like, you had coffee, I didn't. I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm sort of like watching this, like, uh, this kind of meltdown. I'm like, these are the spiritual leaders of the town. like. <laughs> and I'm sitting there watching this, and I suddenly had two really great thoughts. Thought number one was, I can't afford to be part of this conversation. And then thought number two came, I can't afford just to pay for the whole thing. That was like a good deal. So I just thought, I'll pay for the whole thing. Come on, I tell you, God wants us to be like in this place where we we don't play the game of who owes what, who, or whatever. God wants you to be this place of overflowing blessing, a storehouse, a resource center, a tree. Yeah, well, we're not moved. Bob Dylan wrote a song that said, strap yourself to a tree with roots when the storm comes. Yeah. Only Bob Dylan, hey. Come on, Jesus is that tree, amen. But some people can't see the tree that is Jesus and will only see the tree that is us. And our lives should be that place of resource and blessing. And I just want to encourage you we can walk with a high place with God, we don't ever have to descend and miss it. I'm never going to fall in my Christian life. Come on, seriously. You never gonna hear how graham ran off with the piano player or the i don't know whatever <laughs> not thinking of the piano player but you know that stole the offering and went to vegas and i mean just like duh god will bless me more than those guys could do i'm never gonna do some of those we can we can stay in a high place with god when you're around somebody getting involved in a fence just walk away i can't afford to be there I can't afford to be near that. I, can, I, can, I have enough love to heal and cover a multitude of sins, but I can't afford to be part of that. If somebody's gossiping, get up and walk out of the room. You can't afford to be within 100 yards of that thing. But God calls us to have this high walk with him where we're not going up and down, and one minute we're in a high place with God, and the next minute well, we're all depressed or whatever. Stay in that high place with God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you Jesus. Come on, why don't we all stand up? Let's pray together. <laughs> Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that it is God who girds us with strength, and he makes our way perfect. He gives us feet like hind feet, and he causes us to walk the high places of the earth. And Lord, I pray for every person in the room or those uh, listening to the sound of my voice now through technology. Lord, wherever we're at on our journey, grace, 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 grace. Lord, I thank you. Like Paul, we forget that which is behind us, but we press. We don't simply stay where we are. And Lord, I I pray today that everybody in the midst of my stumbling foolish words will just catch a vision of themselves as you would have them walk. Lord, no matter what age we are, whether we're the youngest or the eldest in the room, I pray we'll have a vision for how you would have us walk with you all the days of our life. And Lord, I thank you, you've got a high walk for us. You have a walk of victory, a walk of grace, a walk, sure, we're going to walk through difficult things, but we're going to believe our God in the midst of them. A walk of worship, a walk of praise, a walk where we change, where we go through the valley of Baca, the valley of tears, the valley of, of weeping, but we don't allow it to change us, we change it. We turn the valley of Baca into a wellspring, We turn the desert into a flourishing land. And Lord, I thank you as we walk with you in that high place, we're going to see your hand extended. And I pray that we will be that blessing, that resource, that, Father, I I just thank you as we forget about our own needs, as we look around and try to be a blessing to those around us, you're going to meet every one of our needs according to your riches in glory. And we thank you and we bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have our prayer team out here in a moment if you'd like some prayer. And again, if you're able to, uh, stay, have some soup and coffee downstairs in the cafe. It's going to be open in about five minutes. Happy Thanksgiving. We love you. Blessings in Jesus' name.